inflation is our friend. <laughs> For example, consider this. In the year 2000, if current trends continue, the average blue-collar annual wage in this country will be $568,000. Inflation is back. So are we. This show is all about separating hype from fundamental change. I'm Paul Jarley, Dean of the College of Business here at UCF. I've got lots of questions. To get answers, I'm talking to people with interesting insights into the future of business. Have you ever wondered, is this really a thing? On to our show. When it comes to economic issues, there's only one person I want to talk to. That's Dr. Sean Snaith. But he's a bit of a prima donna, and he's late for our podcast. This is so typical. Let me try to set the stage for you while we wait for the guy to show up. Inflation hasn't really been an issue since the Carter years. That Saturday Night Live skit was Dan Aykroyd impersonating Jimmy Carter. Inflation is definitely not the friend of people who are on fixed incomes. Today's inflation, though, feels a little different. Some people think it's not a surprise. We printed a bunch of money during the pandemic, and we're suffering the consequences of that. Spending was high, particularly government spending. Some people blame it on supply chain shortages. Some people blame it on the war in Ukraine. Some people believe it's a government conspiracy. To sort through all of those things, when Sean gets here, we will have a conversation with him that will help us shed some light on where inflation really is today and where we think it's going in the future. Anytime now, Sean, you could show up. Well, here he is. I'm assuming you're in big demand these days. Yeah, I've uh, spoken uh, on at least two occasions about inflation uh, over the past uh, year and a half. So you're raising your prices, given all this demand? <laughs> no, competition's too fierce. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. Economists are a dime a dozen. Well, that's probably true, but you're the prettiest one I have, buddy. Oh. <laughs> You're, you're, you're like my magic mirror. What fairy, what fairy tale was that? Who's the fairest economist in the land? Oh, that's not even not even close. I mean, it's a low bar if you've met most economists, I, right? I built a I mean, career on low expectations. There's no GQ for economics. I've never seen it. No. We did do a GDPQ. There you go. Very nice. Ago, but, uh, yeah, the model was not an attractive man. I would imagine not. <laughs> so how, how unattractive is it right now? Uh, and how is it Well, measured? we're making the call uh, when our release goes out that we are in or very close to a recession right now. And speaking uh, to different groups and, and to the media over the you know, past year, um, you know, all, all of this uh, can be traced back to the policy response to COVID-19 in 2020. We'll come to that in a couple minutes. Right, sorry. A few weeks ago, I was driving home. And when I... Drive home from the gym. I tend to put on sports talk radio. It's my time to kind of catch up with. Yeah. And uh, the guy was railing against the inflation number in the sense that he didn't believe it, that he thought it was the reported one was too low. And he was quoting, you know, the doubling in gas prices over a period. Sure. And, you know, so talk a little bit about how that inflation number is actually put together and what it really means. Uh, you know, many of the variables in macroeconomics uh, – have measurement issues. Financial markets, interest rates. You know, we've got Pretty simple stuff, right? To, to the second yeah. on the spot. Today. Yeah, yeah. When you start talking about GDP, employment, unemployment, inflation, now you're dealing with something that's not as directly observable. And so, uh, and especially for something like the price level, 
you know, we know what the price of individual commodities are. You know, we know how much wheat and soybean costs. We know how much corn costs. You know, you know how much a gallon of gas or gallon of milk costs. But the price level is not observable. So we, we, the economics profession, the government, uh, comes up with proxies to try to gauge that. And, mm -hmm. and the, the most common cited uh, and observed uh, uh, proxy for inflation is the consumer price index. Hopefully, people aren't listening to this while they're driving because we, we might have people nodding off and uh, driving on their shoulder. But, uh, you know, basically, you know, when I'm teaching introductory students about it, I say, you know, just think about you go to the grocery store and you put in a, uh, a bunch of different items from the shelf and you go to the checkout uh, and they ring it up and they tell you how much it is. Then the next month, you do the same thing. Uh, so basically, that's what the CPI is. It's a basket of goods and services consumed by the so-called you know, typical urban consumer. That basket gets repriced each month, and from that, these inflation uh, numbers are calculated. Now, within that basket, um, you know, certain items may be rising much faster than the, the average of the basket mm -hmm. as a whole. And so if you're looking at used car prices, which were up 40% year over year, if you're looking at energy prices, which were up much higher than, than you know, and driving really the overall CP numbers in many ways, or, or some food prices, it's much higher than the eight, you know, eight and a half percent that were, you know, gets, uh, gets reported as the headline number. So I think that's where, you know, a lot of the skepticism comes in that somehow the government's trying to hide or obfuscate the, the real inflation rate out there. Because the truth is, the inflation rate is different for different people based upon their purchasing patterns forward, right? I mean, there isn't really one inflation rate. No. Uh, well, and... There's not a one household inflation one rate. One of the biggest, in, in, in my mind, one of the biggest um, sources of sort of uh, economic fallacies and, and misinterpretations is the notion that um, that we forget, and, and I mean, we in the biggest sense, that you know, when the rules of the game change, we'll go back to, you know, sports talk radio here, uh, the players play the game differently. Yeah. So in the NFL, when they start penalizing for high hits to try to reduce the number of concussions, well, now we start to see more lower body injuries. And so for the consumer, you know, the rules of the game are, you know, your income, the prices that you face each day when you go shopping. And when those things change, your behavior changes. You don't push that same cart up to the, to the checkout uh, that they use for uh, calculating the CPI. If the price of uh, chicken wings goes up too high, I'm, I eat fewer chicken wings and maybe I substitute you know, pork or beef. And so you know, that's what's happening now. You know, people's behavior will be altered by that. And so it is, you know, depending on how you respond, um, you know, how inflation impacts you in, the, in, in a real sense will in part depend on how you react. So what is the inflation rate today? Uh, I think the last reading was 8.7%. Uh, which was for May. Do you have any reason to believe that's over or understated? Uh, no. You know, I think it reflects, uh, you know, what's happening to energy prices. I think it reflects what, what's uh, happened to food prices. Uh, I think it reflects what's happened to the price of shelter. You know, these are the three big items that consumers, you know, 65% uh, of, house, uh, of household spending for households that make uh, $80,000 or less, 65% is on those three items. Yeah. And so rent's been rising, yeah. food's been rising, and the cost of transportation's been mm -hmm. rising. You know, that doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room. 
uh, for most people. And I think this is you know, one of the key reasons we're seeing consumer confidence at levels we haven't seen since the early 1980s. We opened the podcast with Dan Aykroyd's famous inflation is your friend skit impersonating Jimmy Carter. When was the last time inflation was double digits? Was it the Carter years? It, it, it may I have leaked into the early Reagan years yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, okay. Because that's when in the early 80s, the Fed had to you know, very dramatically raise interest rates. They raised short-term interest rates to close to 20% yeah. in order to break the stranglehold that inflation had, uh, had, had formed on the mm-hmm. economy. Okay, so let's break down that inflation rate. So how much of this do you think is due to the war in Ukraine? In Spanish, it would be un poco. You know, this was, put the cart ahead of the horse earlier in the podcast, but that, you know, most of the economic problems that, that, that we're currently facing, the labor market shortages, the supply chain problems, the uh, high price of oil and gasoline, the overall high rate of inflation cake, uh, inflation rates, uh, was, was already baked into the cake by keep wanting to go back to COVID-19 policies, but Putin's invasion of Ukraine was the icing on this layer cake of economic misery. Sure, it caused a spike in oil. Nobody knew. I mean, what's, you know, how is this going to play itself out? Right. We haven't seen this kind of uh, war in Europe for a long time. And so markets reacted. Oil spiked up to close to $150 yeah. a barrel. And then as the reality on the ground continues to unfold, you know, it's not, you know, the World War III is, is some were predicting, and unfortunately some seem to want. Um, and so, you know, we're kind of back down to where we would have been had, uh, had Russia not invaded Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We were on this trajectory for a year and a half. Now we're back around $110 a barrel. Mm-hmm. Politically, you know, we love, we love to point the finger. Nothing like a good scapegoat. Somebody's wearing the black hat. Mm-hmm. In this case, you know, it's Putin. Who, I mean, really has caused uh, more problems, you know, for a country with uh, a GDP just a few hundred billion more than the state of Florida. Right. Well, 6,000 nuclear warheads. I won't, I'm not going to yeah. brush that aside. <laughs> but, uh, no, that, that was not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, there was disruption, uh, the problems, you know, and then, you know, we, we added to it, you know, these embargoes and were meant to punish Russia somehow cause further pain for the rest of the world uh, in terms of commodity prices, in terms of uh, fertilizer. I mean, this is is the hidden cost of high oil and natural gas prices is what it's done to the cost of fertilizer, Mm -hmm. and uh, which has skyrocketed Mm -hmm. over a year and a half. And, and, you know, that means that the price of food isn't going to be coming down very quickly because there's another crop of food inflation that, you know, so to speak, is already in the ground. What's the source of all these labor shortages we're having? Did, did everybody retire? Now, again, the labor market is yeah. very complex. And people's uh, behavior in terms of entering or leaving the labor market um, it depend on a variety of, of things. But some of it is aging. You know, a piece of it is aging. The baby boomers continue to age, and, and more of them are moving into retirement. So that's well, and at the beginning, right, of this, the pandemic and the aftermath, um, their portfolios were pretty good because the market was still really high. Well, right, I, I, unlike I, other sort of slowdowns we've had. Right. Um, so yeah, if you're, you know, the west coast of Florida, you know, Naples, and yeah. Minnesota, and places that tend to attract more fluent retirees, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they thrive when financial markets are booming like yeah. that. Um, but you know, it goes beyond that, and you know, we, you know we're at a university here, and uh, you know, I, 
speak to students and ask them, you know, were you working before the pandemic? Yeah. Are you working now? You know, this was 2021. Mm -hmm. You know, the situation is changing. No. I said, why not? I know the answer. I don't have to. What do you mean you don't have to? Well, I got two uh, $1,400 checks when I got laid off from Buffalo Wild Wings. I got unemployment plus an extra $600 a month. I've got three roommates. Uh, I've got enough money to pay the rent. Uh, my Xbox subscription is up to date. I, you know, I've got the money for my prescription for my glaucoma. Uh, why am I rushing back to scrub pots in the kitchen of Buffalo Wild Wings? And the answer is I'm not. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it because... If you look at the shortages, it wasn't, uh, you didn't hear Advent Health or Orlando Health saying, you know, since the pandemic, none of the orthopedic surgeons came back to work. No, it was, you know, servers, bartenders, uh, people working at retail, gasoline stations. That is is the piece of the labor market where the shortages were just really across the board. Now, there were labor market shortages. Again, you roll back the clock, pre-pandemic, February 2020. but they were specific, you know, not enough nurses, you know, not enough accountants, not enough um, tradespeople. But it wasn't, hey, I can't get somebody to make a latte at Dunkin' Donuts. That, that wasn't the issue, but that became the issue. What about the airlines? What's going on there? Just because it's been in the news so much. Labor shortages yeah. as well. Uh, pilots, uh, unlike politicians, uh, there's a mandatory retirement age mm-hmm. of 65. Mm-hmm. And so, again, you've got the baby boomers, you know, they hit this age, they have to retire. And so there's, with the explosion of demand that came out of the pandemic that was fueled by $6 trillion of government spending that was uh, you know, underwritten by you know, 0% interest rate, Fed pumped liquidity into the banking yeah. system. But all those purchases, and, and we did this to fight the 2008-2009 uh, financial crisis. Right. The, the Fed's balance sheet went from $800 billion to over $4 trillion. Yeah. But because of what we did in terms of the pandemic, the Fed had to go back and redo what they did in 2008, cut interest rates to zero, and then the balance sheet grew further to almost $9 trillion. Now, not all of those purchases end up in circulation in the economy because banks, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, from you know, Dodd-Frank to stress tests to you know worries about being overextended, are not loaning out all that money. They're sitting on it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're holding it as reserves. So that really never makes it into the economy. However, those $1,400 checks, they did get spent. Uh, and, and the other spending that the government did, you know, outside of uh, those checks, went into the economy. And, and those dollars started to circulate. That gets us to velocity. So is, is velocity back to pre-pandemic levels? Velocity is the rate of turnover in currency in the economy. Right. For the- I, I, I would say that it's increased. Uh, the Fed's not reporting some of these monetary measures that they did historically. Uh, you know, monetary policy is very different post-financial crisis than it was pre Talk, talk about that. Well, pre-financial crisis, it was, you know, uh, being, being a central banker was a fairly straightforward, uh, you know, uh, occupation. You... You know, if you wanted to stimulate economic activity, you would push reserves into the banking system. The banks at that time did not hold excess reserves because you didn't, you don't make money. They loaned out the money. They loaned out the money. And that money 
circulated through. Right. And so interest rates came down, economic activity yep. went up. If the economy was overheating, you pulled those reserves out. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not as straightforward now. Uh, you know, it, it's more complex. They have a different set of tools. Uh, you know, I haven't taught money in banking in some time, but I imagine I couldn't use my old notes uh, to teach that class these days. So uh, it's a little more complex, um, and it's, you know, it's a whole different you know, the structure of, of, of the economy and, and the connections in how monetary policy makes its way to economic activity were all, you know, reset and changed and altered in ways that I think the Fed's still learning. That segues nicely. So the, the Fed has done a traditional response and moved to raise interest rates. How effective do you think that's going to be in today's economy? Because that's usually a durable goods kind of Right. Right. So response. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It affects things that are sensitive to interest rates. Uh, houses, you know, cars. Houses, cars, business investments. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, building. You know, buying equipment, building. It doesn't affect. Uh, you know, purchases of food. Right. Typically, but the Fed. You know, is 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 late to the party or late uh, to to ending the party. Right. There, there's the old uh, saying. I can't remember which former chair of the, the Federal Reserve said it, but that, that the Federal Reserve's job is, uh, you know, to, to take away the punch bowl once the party gets, you know, going. Mm -hmm. You don't want people to overindulge. But not only did they not take away the punch bowl in time, you know. They, they went, filled it a couple times. They went, to, yeah, they went to ABC and bought a case of uh, Everclear brain alcohol and dumped it in. And, well, guess what? People have lampshades on their heads and inflation's, you know, 8.7%. Yeah. But... The good news for the Fed, and, and my, my view on this has changed in the past three months. I thought the Fed was going to have to act very dramatically. They were trying to do baby steps the way they were doing pre-pandemic. You know, well, it is an election year as well. Supposedly, they're, they're <laughs> you know, uh, not swayed by politics. And, and uh, you know, goodness knows that President Trump uh, did his best to try to ch change monetary policy. But So that's a good thing uh, in this country yeah. that it's not. But... Um, they're going to get a, a really big assist by this recession. Uh, they're not going to have to raise interest rates as dramatically as they would have if the economy was still pumping the way it was a year mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, I, I think this recession it will be uh, fairly long, certainly by comparison to 2020, which was only two months. I think it'll be a, a year, year plus. I don't think it's going to be terribly deep, but I think over the course of that time, you're going to start to see a slow uh, fading or erosion of inflation rates. And so they're not going to have to repeat 1980 when they, you know, just crushed the economy because that was the only way to kill inflation. Um, you know, I think inflation will, will, you know, sort of fade over time without the Fed having to be as aggressive as they would in, in a different economic environment. Where do you see this recession hitting the hardest? You know, really, I I, I don't think it's going to be. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't I don't want to like under understate or, or diminish you know people that might suffer in a recession, but it, it's not going to be this dramatic plunge that we saw. Certainly not twenty twenty. Certainly not in, in, in two thousand eight two thousand nine. You know, I think the unemployment rate will creep up a little bit, but there's a huge uh, cushion in the labor market. There's a lot of fat in the labor market that we can cut away before we get into muscle and bone. And that's the 11.4 million uh, job openings that remain unfilled. So I'm an Acme uh, Anvil company and I've got a thousand positions open. 
well, I can cut those and, and nobody is hurt. That's that. Nobody's paycheck. Nobody's away. paychecks. Nobody's lost a job. Uh, so that can be trimmed. And, and you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, consumers and, and sort of, um, you know, when you're tightening your belt as a household, there are some things you can cut and there are some things that you can't. So that those more discretionary or you know, luxury kind of items, I think, are going to see the impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, those, those uh, associated industries. I've never predicted a recession. I, I, I always felt that that was sort of folly to do so. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're in one or very close to one right now. When, when it officially gets announced a year from now, We'll see if I'm right or wrong, but this is the medicine um, that I think is going to help cure what ails us economically from the labor market to the supply chain to inflation to high oil and gasoline prices. It's not going to be quick, you know, a shot of adrenaline and your heart's back. It's going to, you know, as I said, I think a year, but slowly, you know, this sort of economic fever dream we've been living in is going is, is to break. Could anything go wrong here that would make this recession deeper? In your mind? Um, if the Fed uh, overreacts, um, you know, they were slow to, to start tightening. Are they going to, you know, now err further to the side of tightening? Um, you know, I think that remains yet to be seen. You know, I think if we you know, had passed, uh, you know, more spending bills. You know, I, there was some discussion at one point of a $3 trillion, in addition to everything else, you know. Infrastructure bill. Infrastructure, yeah, yeah build back better. Well, yeah, yeah. They call it infrastructure, but then they spend it on everything else. Yeah. But uh, but that money would have just went in and would have further fueled inflation. So, mm-hmm. you know, in introductory economics courses, you know, introducing the concept of inflation to, to new students, you know, I, often use the, the, the terminology that inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. Yep. And so this, you know, putting more dollars in is not going to help. You know, I think in California, they're giving everybody a thousand dollars, excuse me, to help with inflation. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let's put out the fire by throwing gasoline on it. You know, the fire truck, you know, rolls up and, 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 you know, they've got an oil tanker behind them. You might want to leave. <laughs> Because the fire is not going out. So, in uh, these other notions, uh, you know, going back to Dan Aykroyd and, and some of the comical nature of policy, then you know these these notions of price gouging and and trying to put price restrictions on to, to or, or, you know, these these failed economic tropes of the seventies. The fact that they're somehow trying to be resurrected to me is just uh, uh, just stunning. Uh, but I don't think. We'll see those. But you start doing stuff like that, you're just going to compound problems. I mean, you know, we've, we've, met our, we've made our bed here, and, and, and we got to lay in it here for a year. And, and I think as we get to the other side of this recession, we're not going to rock it out of it. It'll be a gradual rise. Um, but that period is going to allow a lot of these problems to, to resolve. So bottom line, two years from now, we're still talking about inflation. <coughs> still going to be no. a thing. Now, will it be back down to 2%? No, it won't be, but it won't be 8.8%. You think it's 3-4, somewhere? 3-4, to four, yeah. yeah. Um, it's my podcast, so I get to go last. We have certainly been through the most unusual two and a half years of my lifetime. Fear of a new virus caused us to voluntarily shut down the economy. We kept people from starving 
by government executing an intergenerational loan. This helped cushion the blow, but it also kept some folks from immediately jumping back into the economy when fear of the virus started to subside, and we looked to start everything back up. If Sean is right, and I have no reason to doubt him, the weirdest time in my life is going to finally end by the most typical of economic responses, as spending slows and a modest interest rate hike brings balance back to the economy. 2024 may very well be the year when we are able to close the book on the economic consequences of the 2020 pandemic. So what's your take? Check us out online and share your thoughts at business.ucf.edu slash podcast. You can also find extended interviews with our guests and notes from the show. Special thanks to my new producer, Leslie Cruz, and the whole team at the Office of Outreach and Engagement here at the UCF College of Business. And thank you for listening. Until next time, charge on. Internet killed the video star.